Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the sight of this blind man, that we would be able to see you and see your son, Jesus Christ, as he is. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see him. And in seeing him, knowing our great need of him, we would find healing for our souls. And that when he returns, we would be found in him. We pray you would do this all to your glory. And we pray that even in this moment, you would be opening the eyes of our hearts, giving our minds understanding that is beyond our ability. And we pray that the words of of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the story we're considering this morning, the story of Jesus healing this blind beggar, is set near the city of Jericho. It's a detail that Luke throws in at verse 35 that feels pretty inconsequential to us, right? But for the person familiar with a map of Israel and the likely outcome of Jesus's journey to Jerusalem, the mention of Jericho would have lent greater significance to this scene. You see, beginning in Luke chapter 9, all the way back in Luke 9, just a few verses after Jesus twice foretells his suffering and death, Luke tells us that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. It was an ominous journey, an ominous note, that Jesus began to go to Jerusalem in Luke 9. Because Jerusalem is where prophets men like Jesus went to die. In fact, somewhere along the way to Jerusalem, Jesus breaks into this lament over that holy city. In chapter 13, Jesus tells the people around him, I must be on my way because it's impossible for a prophet to die, to be killed outside of Jerusalem. And then he laments, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. So beginning in Luke 9, Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem, knowing full well the rejection and death that await him there. And in Luke 18, where our story is located this morning, we are told that Jesus has arrived in his journey at Jericho which is only about 12 miles outside of Jerusalem. At the mention of Jericho puts this story geographically close to Jerusalem and chronologically close to the end of Jesus' life. And this proximity gives the actions and words of Jesus a heightened significance because they will be some of his last. And through this interaction with a, with a blind man, there are, there are some important questions that, that Jesus wants to settle before his death. And the three questions that are answered that we're going to look at this morning, the three questions that are answered in this story are, who is Jesus? Right? Two, who is fit for the kingdom of God? And three, what's Jesus want from you? Right? So who is Jesus? Who is fit for the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus want from you? So who is Jesus? You know, the great irony of this story is that 
the man who is blind sees more clearly than anyone else who Jesus is. He was sitting on the roadside begging for being blind. He depended upon the kindness of strangers and giving him money to be able to feed himself. And sitting there, he could hear that a great crowd was, was passing by and he began to ask aloud whoever would answer him what was going on. And the answer that he received was that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. The crowd identified Jesus according to his earthly origins. He was Jesus of Nazareth. But the blind man, surprisingly, did not begin to call out for Jesus of Nazareth to have mercy on him. Rather, hearing that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, the blind man began to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when those whom Luke describes as being in front rebuke the blind man and tell him to be quiet, he shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. He was appealing to Jesus as a king, as heir to the promises that God had made to David so many years ago that one of David's descendants would ascend to the throne in Israel and reign over a kingdom that would endure forever. This blind man saw that Jesus had not just come from Nazareth, but had come from God. He was the royal son and heir to the throne. He cried out, son of David, have mercy on me because he knew that Jesus had the power and the authority to confer mercy. His earthly origin was Nazareth, but his heavenly origin was the right hand of God. And this man was not going to pass up the opportunity to appeal, to appeal for mercy to this son of David, this son of God. And when Jesus shockingly stops to grant this inconsequential man an audience, and the two are speaking face to face, the blind man no longer calls Jesus son of David, but he pivots and he begins to call him Lord, as he does in verse 41, Lord, let me see again. And as one scholar points out, this is a term appropriate for one's benefactor. This man calls out to Jesus. He speaks to him face to face expectantly. Even when told to keep quiet, he calls out all the louder for he knows who Jesus is. And he knows that the men shushing him do not represent the heart of Jesus. You see, this man saw what everyone else was too blind to see. That Jesus is a powerful and compassionate king sent by God to establish a kingdom for him in the midst of this world where people like this blind man, people not in front, but on the sides, on the margins, and in the back, those people find healing and experience the restoration of all that they've lost. And when Jesus began his public ministry, one of the first things he did was he he went into a synagogue to announce his purposes. Right? It was a kickoff. Reading from the prophet Isaiah, Jesus declared, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jesus stated at the very beginning of his ministry that he had come for people exactly like this man sitting on the road outside of Jericho. Jesus possesses the heart of God because he is God. And so he feels deep compassion for the weak and the needy, the weary and the downtrodden. And this blind man knew this about Jesus. This is the Jesus he knew. How he knew this is unclear. He was always overhearing conversations on the road, so perhaps he overheard this about Jesus too. But because he knew that Jesus had come to gather people like him into his kingdom, he did not quiet down when he was told to do so. But he called out all the louder. He acknowledged him as king by calling him son of David and received Jesus as his king when he called him Lord. And true to this man's expectations, Jesus healed him. So that the man who was sitting on the road begging for money at the beginning of this story, who had to be guided and escorted to Jesus because he couldn't see, was at the end of this story, after his encounter with Jesus, seeing and following Jesus without any assistance. The kingdom of God had entered into the world. And already, while Jesus was still walking around, it was beginning to grow. And it has been growing ever since. For even though he is no longer with us on earth, he continues to reign over the kingdom he began on earth from the heavens. Driven by the Holy Spirit working through the church, the kingdom of God grows in our midst until Jesus comes again to complete and perfect our work and bring heaven and earth together as one. We are called by Jesus to walk the streets of our neighborhoods and city looking for men and women whom Jesus might be preparing for himself to live as citizens in his kingdom. Which brings us to the second question that Jesus settles in this story before he goes to Jerusalem to die. And that is, who is fit for the kingdom of God? As we walk the streets, as we live in our homes, who should we be looking for? And the story answers that question. But really the entire section of which this story is, is but one part answers this question. And the answer is surprising. For if you read Luke 18 from verse 9 onwards, and you get some surprising answers about who is fit for the kingdom of God. In the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you learn that it isn't the self-righteous who find comfort in their good works who are fit for the kingdom of God. But the person fit for the kingdom of God is the, the penitent sinner who beats his breast and sits far off and begs for mercy. In the next story, beginning in verse 15, you learn that only those who are like little children are fit for the kingdom of God. Only the people who receive the kingdom as a gift and with great joy are fit for the kingdom of God. Not those who try to purchase the gift even as it's being handed to them. In the next story, beginning in verse 18, you learn how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says. For wealth masks need. And Jesus says that those fit for the kingdom of God are those who know their need 
and you're willing to leave it all in order to follow Jesus and possess him alone. And finally, in our story, we learn that the one fit for the kingdom of God is not the one in front, but the one who lives on the margins, the one who knows his or her need. I mentioned it already, but Luke rather, interesting lab- in rather interestingly labeled the people who attempted to silence the blind man as those in front, right? These were the same people who were blind to Jesus' true identity, illustrated by the fact that they called him Jesus of Nazareth and not son of David, as the blind man had done. The people fit for the kingdom of God, therefore, if you take all these stories together, are those who are needy and know it. And they aren't afraid to admit it. Admit it. The penitent sinner, the child, the poor, the blind, all of these are needy people. And there's nothing that can hide their need either from their eyes or from the world's. And this is hugely important for us to recognize. For needy is about the worst possible thing you can be in the United States, We're a country built on the narrative of overcoming neediness and achieving independence. It's dangerous to admit weakness, foolish to forfeit an opportunity to acquire more, right? We hide away the elderly and overlook the disabled because they're a drain on our time and energy to pursue our own advancement. And yet these are the kind of people whom Jesus loves and stops to listen to on the roadside, the vulnerable and the broken, the poor and the foolish in the the eyes of the world, the disabled and the forgotten. These are the people fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus actually warns that the things that we pursue, money or beauty, talents, even goodness, those highly prized things in our society mask need and they threaten our fitness to enter God's kingdom and so we must ask well then what does Jesus want from us then what's he want and we learn what he wants by looking at his conversation with the blind man the the blind man's calling out to Jesus he sees who Jesus is and so he addresses him correctly as as son of David king and as his lord And Jesus called for him to be brought to him. And Jesus begins by asking this man the most obvious question. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) It's obvious what the man wants. Because it would have been obvious that he's blind. And yet Jesus asks the question anyway. What do you want me to do for you? Why does Jesus ask this question? Is he being cruel? Is he, is he making fun of this man? No, not at all. Jesus is doing three things. First, he's, he's communicating his availability for all of those who come to him in faith. He's saying, I'm all yours. You've got my attention. What do you want me to do for you? It's the same level of openness and availability that he has for every Christian who calls out to him in faith. Son of David and Lord, what do you want me to do for you, he says. But secondly, the reason why he asks the blind man what he wants is because he wants to hear him say it. 
He wants to hear us say it, to admit our need. Not because he's trying to rub our noses in it or because he takes pleasure in our lack or insufficiency, but because we live in a world where our needs are masked by things and we'll never come to him unless we can acknowledge our need. Instead, we'll rely on our own goodness, our own success for comfort. But goodness and success are not how we are saved. We are saved by grace that is extended to us in Jesus Christ, despite our failures or successes in this world. The reason we confess our sin every week and why you should confess your sin daily is because it is a confession of need. And it puts you in the position to see Jesus clearly, to receive this king with joy when you are welcomed into his kingdom through grace. The reason we fast and practice the spiritual disciplines is because we're we're fostering and cultivating a sense of our neediness without which we will never enter the kingdom of God. Otherwise, it's... We've got it in hand. Thank you very much, Jesus. But what do you want from me? He wants to hear you say it. And by confessing to him our neediness, we're transferring our faith from ourselves and our things and we're setting it firmly on Jesus alone. And the person who has their faith set on Jesus alone will not be disappointed. For though this life is painful and difficult, it is painful and difficult, Even though it is painful and difficult, he has prepared for you a kingdom in which all your pain will find healing. All your anxieties that eat away at you every week will disappear. All your fears will vanish. All your anger that you can't control will be swallowed up with joy. All your confusion will be met with answers. And you will rejoice as though you are a blind man receiving his sight. But do you need him? And finally, he asked the blind man and asked, what do you need? What do you want me to do for you? Because he's not interested in giving us what we want apart from a relationship. He's not interested in being a dispenser of goods. He refuses to take second place to the things your heart desires. He's interested in giving you those things that would be good for you in the life of faith, but only in the context of a relationship with him. So he insists, talk to me. Verbalize your need in prayer and be satisfied with me alone. For he is establishing in this world a kingdom that is growing and will remain when everything else is burned away in judgment. And you, a sinner in need of his great mercy, will be made a citizen of that enduring, uh, that enduring kingdom if you can confess your need and set your faith on Jesus to save you. He did it for the blind man. He'll do it for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.